listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. It's the Feast of Pentecost, 50th day after Easter Sunday. We're called to mark the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the world in a whole new way. Now, Pentecost is a festival in the Jewish calendar. It celebrates the gift of the law of the Torah to ancient Israel at Mount Sinai. That law, that Torah, was the mark of the covenant between God and humanity. It was the way offered to Israel to form them as uniquely belonging to God. And now here on the very day when that ancient way was celebrated and marked, the young church is sealed with the mark of a new covenant. God's Spirit flowing in them and through them and all around them, setting them on a whole new way of being in relationship, in covenant with God. Now tonight we, we, we told two quite different stories about the gift of the Spirit. Those two stories stand in a kind of a marked contrast to one another. But both offer important insights. And both of those stories do need to be heard. There was that very well-known account from the book of Acts with its tongues of fire, its swirling wind in the upper room, which unleashes a multitude of language in the mouths of those disciples, amazed and astonished that people asked, are not these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? How indeed. Yet for all of the astonishment of that moment, what happens next is even more remarkable. Peter stands to speak. And for the very first time in all of the biblical story, Peter speaks with authority. I mean, he picks up improvisationally on the words of the prophet Joel, and he boldly speaks to what God in Christ, through the Spirit, is doing for the world, for young and old, slave and free, men and women. This is Peter? This is the one who all through the Gospels had evidenced a, a remarkable talent for putting his foot in his mouth? For losing heart at all of the most important moments? Peter speaks with authority? The Spirit, Luke would say, the Spirit is indeed on the move. Yet alongside of that account, we also read from the Gospel according to John. As Carolyn Lewis notes, For John, the day of Pentecost is not tongues of fire or a bewildering, amazing, perplexing cacophony of voices, but the peace of one voice, the shepherd's voice, who bestows on his disciples the abiding presence of I am. Now I have to confess that John's imagery resonates with me personally. 
far more than the account from Acts. John, Jesus comes bringing his word of peace, and he breathes into the disciples the presence of the Spirit as advocate, guide, and comforter. That's John's language. I've not seen tongues of fire dancing in the air, and I've certainly never found myself unexpectedly being able to speak Italian or Arabic or Urdu, but I have been guided and challenged, moved, held, and comforted, deeply comforted by the presence of that Spirit. Were you to ask, John, though, were you to ask whether it's he or Luke in Acts who speaks most truly of the gift of the Holy Spirit, which one of you is it? He would have looked and said simply, yes. But which of you has the facts straight, John? Yes, he would have said furrowing his brow ever so slightly at the very modern nature of that question? Yes, the Spirit of God is untamable wind and fire, and yes, the Spirit of God is in us and through us as our very breath, yes. The Roman Catholic theologian Yves Congar once articulated the seemingly paradoxical character of this truth very well. He wrote, The Spirit is unique and present everywhere, transcendent and inside all things, subtle and sovereign, able to respect freedom and inspire it. The Greek word pneuma, like the Hebrew word ruach, holds multiple meanings. It's translated as spirit and as breath and as wind. All three, same word. On a hot summer day, you might sit out under the shade of a tree and enjoy the comfort of a light breeze against your skin. You're not really aware of your own breath or even of the beating of your own heart as you sit and enjoy that day. They're just there. But push ahead three or four hours after the thunderclouds have rolled in, the wind is suddenly picked up, and as you run for shelter, the wind pelts the driving rain against your face, and you struggle to catch your breath. Same breath, same air. In a sense, still the same wind, just ramped up and swirling lashing the falling rain sideways against your body. So no, just because it's John's imagery that most resonates with my own experience, I can't just gloss over what Luke has to tell me in his account from Acts. The spirit who is transcendent and inside all things, subtle and sovereign, able to respect freedom and inspire it, cannot be domesticated to suit my own spiritual experiences or preferences. Sometimes the comforter needs to knock the wind out of the church, land it flat on its back, knock me flat on my back. You know, there is a section in John's account 
that can be at least as puzzling as anything in the book of Acts. Peace be with you, Jesus says to them, adding, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. See, they're frightened when he first appears to them. And he offers them that word of peace. Good stuff. He then deepens that peace by breathing upon them the presence of the Holy Spirit, who's been promised as their comforter, their advocate, their guide, the one who will lead them into righteousness. That's even better stuff. You can feel their fears just drop to the floor, evaporate. They can be sent. They will be sent out into the world, just as Jesus himself had been sent into the world by the Father. This is their commissioning. And they're being given what they need to live into it in fullness. No more are they like the scared rabbits who were so ready to flee the Roman guards on the night of the arrest. No longer will they fumble in the dark, trying madly to get their heads around what he's been trying to teach them. Now they are become what he knew they would be all along. And yet, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Huh? Like what what just happened there? They can forgive or retain the sins of other people? That's an awful lot of clout, especially the retaining. And how does that possibly line up with the other things that he'd been teaching them all along about their need to forgive their enemies, to do good to those who harm them, to surround themselves in this kind of radically audacious air of grace? What now is this business about retaining sin? Well, in his comments on this passage, the New Testament scholar Matt Skinner insists that we keep in view the fact that all the way through John's gospel, all the way through, Jesus talks about sin as unbelief, the unwillingness or incapacity to grasp the truth of God manifested in him. That sin in John is not about moral failings. Primarily, it is an inability or a refusal to recognize God's revelation when confronted by it in Jesus. Consequently, Skinner continues, Consequently, the resurrected Christ tells his followers, all his followers, that through the Spirit that enables them to bear witness, they can set people free from that state of affairs. They can be a part of seeing others come to believe in Jesus and what he discloses. Failure to bear witness, Jesus warns, will result in the opposite. A world full of people left unable to grasp the knowledge of God. 
That is what it means to retain sins. Jesus is simply reporting that a church that does not bear witness to Christ is a church that leaves itself unable to play a role in delivering people from all that keeps them from experiencing the fullness that Jesus offers. You get that? Like he's not investing them with clout. He's actually giving them a commission that by their witness, people will be able to be drawn past the brokenness that brings an incapacity or an unwillingness to see the grace that Jesus is. Doesn't that make a whole lot more sense than clout? Rather than commissioning them to go out into the world with a whole lot of legalistic power, able to essentially condemn people in their sins by refusing to offer forgiveness, he's commissioning them to go out as deep witnesses to all that he has given them. As the Father sent me, so I send you. Not as agents of condemnation, because of course Jesus was not an agent of condemnation. Not as wielders of moral clout. Jesus had a very strong stomach whenever he encountered people who'd been morally cast out by that society. He had a very strong stomach that allowed him to draw them close. No, he doesn't send them to do those things, to condemn in those ways but as an embodiment of the very grace and forgiveness they themselves had received. Go out, do this faith, live this vision, and with every breath you take, know that you are also breathing in the very spirit, the pneuma, the ruach of God. That's what John tells us he said to them when he gave them that gift. And that's what he still says to us. That's Pentecost. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.